0: in mm-hmm. Welcome to First Up, it's Rapa, Wednesday the 7th of September, coming up we're heading out for a meal and a chat with the major Auckland mayoral candidates this morning. It's kebabs with Craig Lord, Britain's new Prime Minister Liz Truss visits the Queen as Bojo signs off, we get reaction from the UK. Some people in Queensland are a bit unhappy in Australia, we find out why. And retail workers ask, what's the point in continuing with mask restrictions when hardly any customers are wearing them in the first place?
1: I feel like they should probably keep it on for a wee bit longer, but I honestly don't think it'll be much of a difference. Probably 50-60% of our customers come in without a mask on anymore.
0: maria, welcome to First Up, I'm Nick Trubridge and for Nathan Narere, as you've heard, he is resting his voice uh, after managing to get through yesterday, but a day off today. Right, we're going to start in Australia where a school has discovered it, students set up an online private chat room where young people from other schools posted violent and racist messages. Joining me now from Brisbane is our
2: correspondent Pam Corkery. more Modena, and it's not our school. It's Knox Grammar. It's That's, rated officially ranked as the richest school in the country.
0: Exactly. That's that yes. is the point here, isn't it? Uh, not yeah. not just some some public school a fancy uh, sort of private school. What's oh been... no!
2: These are the creme de la creme. So yeah. twenty students have been punished in some way from being withdrawn from the school. We don't know if that's permanent or in-house punishments. Now, what we found out last night was that it would seem other schools are involved with them too. But going back to these Knox Grammar sweethearts, their posts on private chat a private chat room called Discord. Um, covers racism, homophobic videos, messages, and rantings of violent, misogyny, nasty little people. Um, The principal, when we talk about this kind of school, Nick, he sent a really crawly newsletter to parents yesterday, and he also said that they got a law firm in to objectively review the school's process. No, if kids are doing that stuff online, you don't need a lawyer if you... You know, it just—if you want to have the kids withdrawn, you know—it seems that's what you do when parents are wealthy. You worry about being sued. Sad, eh? Yeah, surely
0: it's cut and dry. You've got, but they're yeah bringing in the lawyers and all sorts. Um, hey, let's move just, on. Just, brief, uh, just
2: yeah, briefly, just yeah, briefly though. Sure. They've got they've got form in this area. In in twenty twenty rather, um, a sports director was jailed for possession of child abuse. And during the two thousand and fifteen royal commission into child abuse, Knox Grammar was accused of concealing thirty three years of child sexual abuse of its students.
0: Mm, so yeah, yeah. Not, not a great record um,
2: Let's go to Queensland This croc yes. cull People oh, aren't happy it. No, people aren't happy. Now, critics of a proposal to remove more large crocodiles from Queensland's far north coast say it will be a silent cull and could actually put more people at risk of attack. So since the mid-1970s, there's been 47 croc attacks in the state. So that's 16 deaths out of those. But the rate of non-fatal attacks has been increasing. Crocodiles are protected in Queensland. Are they... They're listed as vulnerable.
0: Yeah, well, yeah.
2: A bit like the Knox um, College students, <laughs> really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, 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 opponents say removing the crocs would lull the public into a false sense of security, and they remind them that crocs can sit underwater for more than six hours and remain hidden. So you don't want that. And then one defender said, Don't worry, it's only about twenty percent of the state's crocs live in the populated areas.
0: Maybe better the better the (laughs) enemy you know or something. Possibly. Yeah. I mean I don't know
2: what they do for the ecosystem. I have no idea what crocs do. They're scary.
0: Yeah, okay. But yep. you don't but you don't want one creeping up on you for sure. Hey, thanks, Pam. We'll leave it there this morning. Uh Pam Corkery there in Brisbane. Right, from Brisbane we are going to go to Canada where the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are searching for two men suspected of killing ten and injuring at least fifteen in a stabbing spree in the spot in the province of Saskatchewan. Many of the dead lived in the Indigenous community of the James Smith Cree Nation and Indigenous leaders believe the killings may be drug-related. The ABC's Samantha Donovan reports.
3: The news of the stabbing spree at the James Smith Cree Nation community and the nearby small town of Weldon first reached police in the early hours of Sunday morning Canadian time. Rhonda Blackmore is the commanding officer of the Saskatchewan Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The Saskatchewan Divisional Operations Communication Centre received a call reporting a stabbing on the James Smith Cree Nation. In the following minutes, received multiple calls reporting additional stabbings at different locations in the community. The suspects named were Damien Sanderson and Miles Sanderson. She confirmed 10 people had been killed in 13 different locations in both the Indigenous community and in Weldon, a town with a population of nearly 3,500. At least 15 people have been taken to hospital. Officer Blackmore asked people in Saskatchewan and the neighbouring provinces of Alberta and Manitoba to watch out for the suspects. At this stage in our investigation, we believe some of the victims have been targeted by the suspect and others have been attacked randomly. They are considered armed and dangerous. They are believed to be in a black Nissan Rogue SUV. Denise Ferguson is the news director at the Saskatoon Media Group in Saskatchewan. She described the area where the attacks took place.
4: Most of the, uh, the attacks seem to have happened on the James Smith Cree Nation, which would be like an, an indigenous community in Canada. And then a nearby community of Weldon, which is about 25 minutes south of the, I'd say, southwest of the, uh, the First Nation. But then these individuals were apparently spotted, or at least a report of them being spotted, uh, in Regina, which is the provincial capital. And that's three hours south, like three hours south going at highway speed in a vehicle. Uh, of where the actual attacks occurred. And
3: she believes the remote area may make it easy for the fugitives to escape.
4: Everybody thinks of uh, our part of the world as being prairie, but, you know, the, the top third of the province is lakes and forest. You know, it is fairly remote. You can get lost in the bush up there. You can get If you know your way around, you can go right into the bush there and, and you could be undercover for a long time if you know how to manage that and we're we're very mobile part of the world we have the most kilometers of roadway anywhere in the country because there's so much open space here and it's really easy to get around. It's we, really easy to travel between communities. It's really easy to get out of the province. There's mm-hmm. a lot of roads. Denise Ferguson says
3: the motivation for the attacks is unclear.
4: I, I would suspect for the average individual, a little alarming. Nobody understands what the motivation is because, you know, when it's just a random attack and people are on what appears to be a, a killing spree, it, it's bizarre. And especially in our part of the world, this, that cliche, we just don't see that. Well, we don't. We just don't see that.
3: Reuters is now reporting a group representing 74 First Nations groups in Saskatchewan, the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations, has released a statement saying, quote, this is the destruction we face when harmful illegal drugs invade our communities. The elders have declared a state of emergency, they say, in response to the murders and attacks on the members of the James Smith Cree nation and two emergency operations centres have been established. As the hunt for the two suspects continues, journalist Venice Ferguson says many people in Saskatchewan and neighbouring Alberta and Manitoba are worried for their safety.
4: Everybody is on high alert, you know, we've, we, everyone has been told don't pick up hitchhikers, don't, you know, leave your doors unlocked you, because they could literally be anywhere in the province.
3: Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has described the crimes as horrific and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm.
0: It is 14 minutes past five and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nick Trubridge. We're keen for your feedback. We're going to be catching up with Craig Lord later. He's a mineral candidate here in Auckland. So on the issue of local elections, are you going to bother voting? If not, why not? If so, why this year and maybe not other years? Uh, Also the cricket. Now, when I went to bed, Aussie were 44 for five. You wake up this morning... And the Black Caps have lost. What went on there? Did you watch it? What did you think? You can text us 2101, tweet us at FirstUpRNZ or email FirstUp at rnz.co.nz. You can also find us on both Facebook and Instagram at FirstUpRNZ. Right, to the Middle East now where I'm joined from Doha by our correspondent Alex Baird. Morena, Alex. Morena, Nick. Let's start in Israel. The Israeli government facing some backlash. Bring us up to speed.
5: Yeah, now this was a funny one. So Israel's government a few days ago had released these new rules for foreigners essentially getting visas for when they wanted to enter the occupied West Bank. And some of these uh, copped a lot of flack because they went pretty far. So one of the most controversial rules that the, uh, that the Israeli government was going to put through was that all those foreign passport holders who were entering into a formal relationship, so we're talking marriage or or um, engagement with a Palestinian living in the West Bank, had to notify the Israeli authorities within 30 days of even just moving in together. Um, there are also quotas placed on the number of foreign academics, so we're talking lecturers and students who are allowed into the Occupy West Bank every year. And you can imagine when you, when you force people... Um, to say within 30 days whether they've, whether they've moved in with their partner or not, that you have to notify um, even in the in the West Bank the Israeli government. You can imagine that didn't go down too well. Now, um, to Israel's credit, it did do a backtrack on this. It has delayed the um, these rules ever so slightly, and it's, it's it's dropped some of these most controversial ones. So. You'll no longer have to tell Israeli authorities if you're in a relationship with a Palestinian if you're going into the occupied West Bank on a foreign passport. But nevertheless, um, a really bizarre rule that has been dropped.
0: Yeah, bizarre, right? Hardly uh, surprising it went down terribly. Meanwhile, uh, in Afghanistan, there's been a bombing, hasn't there?
5: Yeah, so in the western city of Herat, there was a... uh, Pretty large blast outside the largest mosque in that city. That's killed at least 18 people. Um, awful stuff. Not too, all too uncommon in Afghanistan, unfortunately. Now, no one has claimed responsibility for this attack, but Afga- uh, the Afghan Taliban and ISIL have a really, really bad relationship, and they have claimed responsibility for a number of other attacks throughout afghanistan so the thought is that it wouldn't be surprising if isil was behind this even more so it looks like it was them because uh, a pro-taliban imam has, was targeted and he was killed in this attack um so just another real insight into the constant trauma that people in afghanistan are facing and that even though the taliban have claimed that afghanistan is now safe and now that they're in charge These sorts of attacks are still continuing to happen and killing dozens of people.
0: Yeah, these stories continue to come out since they've taken over, don't they? Uh, Let's go to Iran. What's happening there?
5: Yeah, so this was a really interesting one. So this involves the United States. There's a lot of things in this region end up involving the United States has uh, dropped a lot of cash and invested in a sea drone program. So we're quite used to hearing about the Americans using um, unmanned drones to, to carry out stripes, for instance, on ISIL targets. But now they have them going around in the sea. Um, these are quite interesting looking things. They look like little boats that have um, solar, uh, solar panels on the top to power them, but they can scan very far into the depths of the ocean. So, um, the Iranians have started picking them up. So on Thursday last week, there were some uh, some of these drones, three of them, or I think two or three, that were going through the Red Sea. Um, and the Iranians threw out some nets and hauled them on board one of their destroyers and held on to them just for a little bit, just for a few hours just to inspect them. The Americans were not happy, They'd sent some of their own destroyers to see what was going on, a fleece of helicopters. Um, but I think what we're looking at is in a way, a bit of, I don't know if saber rattling the right word, but the Iranians are saying, hey, you've got these drones everywhere in our region and we can just chuck out some some fishing nets and pull them up. So a thorn in the side of the Americans and quite interesting because this is the second incident in one week involving these sea drones. And I think you're going to start seeing more incidents involving these sorts of devices coming up in the future.
0: Yeah, uh, funny one. Thanks, Alex. Alex Baird there in Doha. It's 19 minutes past five. I'm Nick True, are with First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we cross to Henry Riley in the UK, as we do very often, to find out how Liz Truss is settling into Number 10 Downing Street and what she plans to do about energy prices so high they could push millions into poverty. Yeah, what a situation. The government's uh, deciding whether or not to keep mask restrictions. That's here, of course. They're deciding that next week. But are people even still wearing them? bit more on that. Featured on today's Trade Me Selection is a beautiful mid-century former Airbnb house in Waikanae. I've stayed at this house and can attest to its beauty. You can play tennis, you can swim in the pool. Uh, Anyway, also a cool collector's All Blacks jersey with signatures from 2013, maybe to put in your new Waikanae abode perhaps in the the pool room. Uh, But before that, Ruby Topsand told producer Katrina Badden about an auction which is raising money for a bike that sounds more like a garden implement. That's a limited edition soil searching specialised levo.
1: It does. It's, it's specialised limited edition soil searching, doesn't it? It does sound like well, something you would use. I had, in, I had in to the go, garden. But yeah, see the
6: photos. It was like,
1: oh, it's a bike. It is. It's misleading. But um, it's a very cool bike. It's not just any bike, um, it's an e bike, first of all. And it's by globally renowned manufacturers specialised. It's one of only 50 made worldwide. And they were actually designed and built to support the Trail Fund, um, which is, and this one is specifically for the Trail Fund NZ, which is a not-for-profit organisation run. By volunteers, which supports the development, maintenance and and ongoing maintenance of publicly available environmentally sensitive and sustainable mountain bike accessible trails in New Zealand. And it's really all about the community and they do such fabulous work. And here in Wellington, they do incredible work around all of the beautiful places that you can mountain bike so it's such a wonderful course to get behind especially going into warmer weather where people might want to get the mountain bikes back out. Already not surprisingly getting a lot of attention this one. it's it's According to the listing description it's it, this bike is worth about $20,000 and it's already had 59 bids and it's currently sitting at $12,750 and that is still with another day to go this closes on Thursday night it, 6pm. So we suspect that we'll see it uh, get pretty competitive there in the closing minutes. But what a beautiful bike. I mean it's it's a gorgeous looking thing. Wonderful cause and, and we're really excited that we get to have this on our site.
6: I mean it looks like yes. a mountain bike but electric. I mean that seems slightly oxymoronic but okay. It, <laughs> it looks amazing though. Beautiful colour. I mean
1: you do have to get up the mountain to, to bike down, I suppose. Yeah, and that's
6: true. That's true. You might need a bit of ex- <laughs> you might need a bit of extra help getting up
1: there. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But I think the fun from what I understand, my limited understanding, I think the fun bits are going down. So yeah, yeah, might as well get a leg up. Our next
6: auction is a white all blacks jersey. Now this is from twenty thirteen.
1: Yeah, it is. And and another all blacks jersey. I mean as popular as ever. This has already had seventeen bids a huge amount of uh, watch lists and views as well and not closing until Saturday, but this is that iconic 2013 squad. You know, we've got the Dan Carter, the Richie McCaw, the Kieran Reid, the whole crew there and it's a white jersey so it's in a beautiful frame it's also got yeah all of the coaches and management there as well that have also signed it they get so much attention it's incredible so it's currently sitting at 2030 dollars, but closing on saturday a bit of time here as well this one's actually raising money for the champion center which does a lot of fabulous work another wonderful organization that does a lot of work for early intervention programs for children with disabilities and development challenges so another wonderful cause to support here.
6: Our feature property this week. I love this. It's amazing. It's a gorgeous mm. mid-century house in Waikanae. Tell us all about this. It's it's beautiful. I, I want it.
1: yeah I mean and it might look familiar to a lot of people because it is it has been you know featured in quite a number of uh, photo shoots and and music videos and whatnot over over the years and on top of that it has actually been on airbnb so people might have come across it there as well yeah the beautiful beautiful riverbank residence and why can I hear it's just that stunning that mid-century charm it's got such incredible features i mean outside of just the beautiful architecture of the house itself it also has a japanese garden for a central japanese garden um which is perfect for privacy and peaceful relaxation according which to is the listing very, description
6: exactly very zen very zen
1: yes very zen the in-ground pool with a, oh. with a um oh. That's with awesome. a diving board to boat and pool house to go over there too, tennis court. But yeah, I mean just the build. It's wow. the build, isn't it? It's Is mid century, like that floor to ceiling windows, sliding doors, all of the beautiful work on and inside too. Beautiful light filled space. What's your favourite? What's what's selling it for you? Actually,
6: I mean pretty much everything. I think the, <laughs> I think it's the layout, the mm. big rooms amazing windows that pool is I mean it's just that's beautiful. It's just a beautiful house. If you don't, if you don't have the money, just go and look at the listing. Just because the listing is, yeah. you just sit there going, no, "I want to buy this." It's uh, you just get a
1: bit of a, a bit of a taste of that zen, don't you? Just from oh, looking at the photos, you feel chill just
6: just looking at it. It's beautiful. It's uh, it's got garaging for and a workshop, so you can do other things to it. It's got mm. a study or fourth bedroom. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. It and is. the outside, that garden, oh, it's, it's a beautiful listing. Oh, what are they looking at? It's an auction?
1: It's actually the sale by tender, this one, and it closes on the 22nd of September. So there's a bit of time here, and I mean – We've seen the Wellington market obviously just explode over the last few years and it, and it has crept up. This So this one's in Kapiti Coast and slightly more recently we have seen prices in Kapiti Coast really take off too. So really hard to say what this one will go through. I mean, particularly with the current market conditions to be sold by tender. But Kapiti Coast is certainly becoming more and more popular and we're seeing more demand there as uh, people look for places outside of the city.
0: It is beautiful that place, trust me. It's a a, have a look at it. Go on trade me and have a look at it. Right, time for business.
3: The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want
0: money. Right, joining us from the business team is Nick Poynton who's been in for spring sharing. Where's the (laughs) hair gone?
7: I thought, you know, the sun was coming out, and I thought suns out, domes out. But I'm regretting that decision this morning because it's freezing. And winter's back. My head. You've it, got a week night. early. Oh my lord, it's been grim. But
0: <laughs> all right, on to more important <laughs> things. What have you got? Um, something about. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, this issue of businesses spending money on tech
7: and they're not using it. Well, this has been one of the longest stories that I've been covering <laughs> since I've been a business reporter, right? And it all started back in the pa- at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, businesses were going to have to work. Working from home they rushed out and bought exp- expensive software it could be things like bookkeeping software it could be just software just to manage uh you know online chat between your team things mm. like that and what they found is that they've actually had very little use for it but when you sign up for the software you lock yourself into quite long contract terms because of it so look that's a cost that you're paying for that you're not necessarily getting the best out of and it, it, i think it To me, it it drives me crazy because we've seen so many reports or surveys that have highlighted this. And we got another one yesterday, and it was looking at uh, companies that have data management software But um, although data management can be very influential and have a lot of benefits for your business, not many people are truly uh, seeing that. And part of the reason, it seems, is that they have never really spent the time to truly understand the software Mm. that they've brought into the business. Mm. So, uh, look, it it all comes down to consulting with the people, you know, actually taking time, consulting with the people who you're buying this off and actually sitting down and thinking, all right, look, I've bought this, not really using that much, but can you tell me how can we actually – adapt this to the business's needs mm. and try and see some productivity games because that's one of the biggest issues here in New Zealand. People work harder for longer but don't necessarily really see the benefits.
0: To something slightly different, uh, hotel developments,
7: a shortage of, to be specific. Why yeah. could this come back to buy us, Nick? Oh, look, this. I think shortage is very strong language. I know I, I wrote that when I sent it to you, but essentially... Hotel developments have fallen off a cliff over the past mm. couple of years because why would you build? Why it? would you build a hotel? And um, data from StatsNZ indicates that there's been a four hundred million dollar drop in the value of hotel work put in place over the past year. But we spoke to who I want to call you know one of the leaders of in ho- you know hotels hotel properties in this country, Colliers National Director that's Dean Humphreys, mm-hmm. and says as the country begins to reopen. Uh, there are many properties that have maybe been taken off the market that are, you know smaller motels and things like that is that we may find ourselves in a position especially outside of Auckland where we don't necessarily have the accommodation to meet the needs of of the people who are coming here and that is made worse by the fact that a lot of the short-term stay accommodations think your airbnbs Mm. think maybe your batch care places have either been sold or taken off the market in the past couple of years there's no guarantee that they will come back as well so that's one of the interesting things here auckland's all good it seems like there's always a new building going up here and that work was probably put in place years ago Thanks,
0: Nick. You can have more from Nick and the business team at Morning Report at 10 to 7. And turning very briefly to how the New Zealand dollar is being traded around the world, it's currently at 60.4 US cents, 89.7 Australian cents, 60.1 euro cents, 52.4 British pence, 4.21 yuan, 86.3 Japanese yen. And if you are travelling to Russia for whatever reason, your NZ dollar is buying... 36.5 36.5 Russian ruble, in case you were wondering. To the UK now, where Liz Truss has been appointed Prime Minister. She takes office at a time of severe economic problems at home and a war in Europe. In her first speech outside 10 Downing Street this morning, New Zealand time, she spoke of becoming a modern, brilliant Britain. So I asked our correspondent in London,
8: Henry Riley, about that and about her priorities. You're quite right, Nick. She referred to transforming Britain into an aspiration nation is how she concluded her speech outside Downing Street, our new Prime Minister Liz Truss. And I suppose she focused on three main priorities, and they are the three priorities that we perhaps expected her to focus on. But nonetheless, it's a very good thing uh, for the electorate to hear that these are her priorities. She spoke firstly about the economy. She said she wants to get Britain working again. Now, what she means by that is, of course, we've had economic stagnation. We've had the inflation figures that we've spoken about in the past. We've had strikes across Britain, and she says that, quite frankly, Britain isn't working. How is she going to get Britain working? Well, based on everything she said during the campaign, she wants to cut taxes to reward hard work. That was what she said. And she said she wants to boost business-led growth and investment. It's a clear dividing line between her and her former opponent, Rishi Sunak. She wants to govern in a conservative way and govern the economy in a conservative way. And that means tax cuts for individuals and businesses. The second thing she referred to Nick was energy now this is the real big problem the cost of energy in the UK which has meant the whole cost of living crisis has got very expensive not just for individuals but particularly for businesses she said she's going to quote still hands-on with the energy crisis she blamed it squarely at the door of Vladimir Putin she said it was caused by Putin's war and one thing of reassurance that many people are picking up here in the UK is she said this week she is going to come up with a plan to fix energy bills it's currently Tuesday evening here in the UK we expect that to happen on thursday so in two days time and just lastly as well the third thing she focused on was the nhs and she said that she's going to get doctor's appointments back on the table for people there's a real waiting list in the UK there's a&e crisis and she says people need to be need to be able to access the nhs services they need and th- what she actually said is we will put our health service on a firm footing so those are her three main priorities
0: now give us a taste of some of the reaction henry of course her speech hasn't necessarily been warmly received by everyone i was just watching a, a labor politician have a big ha- have a bit of a dig what are people
8: saying Well, a lot of people are firstly criticising the delivery in the sense that you've come from a fairly bombastic prime minister. Boris Johnson, I think about 12 hours ago, slightly less, was giving a speech outside Downing Street this morning. And whatever people think of Boris Johnson, it was very colourful. It was funny. There were moments where he spoke very well, as you would expect. And Liz Truss, as I'm sure you you noticed from the speech, is just a completely different delivery style. It's very down the barrel. It's very almost monotonous in a way, but she's very to the point. And so I think, you know, that that is is good insight some ways and not in others. Labour and the Liberal Democrats, who you've referred to then, are obviously, you know, saying that we've had this energy crisis going on for so long now. We've had all these hustings that we've spoken about. And, you know, we've spoken (laughs) after most of those hustings. It it went on for quite a long time. And now they're saying you've had all this time. You're now in Downing Street. What are you going to say? And what we're hearing again are the same vague promises. Although Liz Truss has promised something by the end of the week, they're saying it simply can't wait that long. If you look at reaction around the world. Joe Biden has tweeted. He said, congratulations to Liz Truss. I look forward to deepening the special relationship. And of course, that exact phrase, the special relationship, is something that is very key in the UK. People really value, particularly on this side of the pond, um, the the special relationship. And so it's a mixed reaction, as you would expect. But various conservative politicians, various conservative members are concerned that Liz Truss is not going to get a honeymoon period. She's not going to get a period of time where people cut her a bit of slack. She needs to get moving from day one. And if she doesn't come up with a clear, coherent and workable energy plan, by the end of this week, she's going to be on the back foot. Yeah, it's all about getting moving, isn't it? Because, I mean,
0: we've spoken numerous times over the last couple of weeks. You've got a cost of living crisis. Meanwhile, you've had a conservative leadership contest and you've had the incumbent sort of, well, with, with most of his kit off on beaches in Greece, haven't you? Paint us a picture of the current situation in the UK for us here in Kiwiland.
8: So the current situation in the UK really is of a Britain that is struggling. It's a Britain that's struggling economically, and that is the main thing that Liz Truss is going to have to address. People are very concerned about the prices going up in shops, and are very concerned about inflation. There's a worry that businesses. You look at one sector, for example, pubs. There was a story a week or so ago that seven in ten pubs are going to close, and that is a real concern. We've had various headlines over the last however many months about how worrying things are going to get. It's no longer a. Form forecast. These things are happening. We are hearing reports of businesses going bust. Food bank numbers are going up. This is not sort of speculation now. These are things that are actually happening. It's a Britain that is very divided. Boris Johnson, whilst he certainly had his plaudits, had many detractors. And it's a Britain that is divided. We've always had political divisions uh, in the UK. But after such a polarising character as Boris Johnson, people are hoping that Liz Truss can perhaps bring Britain together. She's very conservative in some ways. But there is a sort of sense that with the current economic problems we've got, we have to try and unite uh, behind Liz Truss. Now, her first action tonight, we assume, is going to be to appoint that cabinet. We're going to hear who is going to be in those top positions, who's going to be the chancellor, which is an important position in most circumstances, but arguably now is going to be even more important. We think we know who that's going to be. It's been widely rumoured to be a man called Quasi Quarting. He's the business secretary. He's a longtime ally uh, of Liz Truss. But those appointments... in the first few hours of her premiership, which we are expecting tonight, as I say, will really define the rest of her tenure as prime minister. And so her key decisions start from now on. Henry Riley there beaming in from London.
0: It's exactly 20 minutes to six. It's not often you look up and it's exactly 20 minutes to six. Anyway, I'm Nick Troubridge. you're with First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, retail workers ask, what's the point in continuing to wear masks, or continuing with mask restrictions, I should say, when hardly any customers are wearing them anyway? And we sat down for a feed with mayoral candidate Craig Lord. Why does he think he's got what it takes to guide Auckland through... One of the toughest times in its history. Yeah, you can say that again. The professionals of Morning Report are up after six, and for a quick preview of our flagship news programme is Susie Ferguson. Morena.
6: Kia Nick. How are you going?
0: No, I can't complain. Well, bar the cricket result, but look, let's not talk oh. about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we
6: will be talking about that on Morning Report, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. so yeah, okay. maybe don't tune into that bit if you're not keen on hearing about it. <laughs> uh, but certainly, kia ora koutou. we will also be talking about how whole classrooms of children are failing a new literacy and numeracy test, which is causing, as you can imagine, a fair amount of alarm for schools. Also, the inside details on the women who prompted an 11-day COVID lockdown in Northland last year. And Liz Truss makes her first big speech as the new Prime Minister of the UK. We will also find out what her taking on that leadership role uh, will, what sort of impact that will be for Aotearoa. And it's all coming up after six o'clock.
0: Yeah, hell of a show. Don't miss it. Uh, thanks, Susie. Morning report up in, well, about 15 minutes time. All uh, right, we retail workers, rather. Uh, Estimate around 60% of their customers have already ditched masks. Yes, certainly if you look around Auckland, those numbers would appear to be about right. Uh, It comes as Cabinet reviews the traffic light system next week with a likely end to mask mandates. And as reporter Felix
9: Walton, Walton reports, business groups are welcoming the change. Masks have been compulsory on planes in New Zealand for almost two years now, and we're supposed to wear them across most public settings, like supermarkets, retail stores, and on public transport. But with a decision imminent on whether to move to the green traffic light setting, is it time to ditch them completely? This worker's not so sure.
1: Spring only just started, and I feel like lots of people are still getting sick, not only with COVID, but also the flu this year is so bad. Like, I've been sick for the past two weeks. I don't know, maybe like the closer we get to summer, it would make more sense to lift it, like a couple more months.
9: Greg Harford is the chief executive of Retail NZ. He's just one of a number of business leaders who believe mask requirements have run their course.
0: It's actually well past. That the mandatory mask requirement was removed in retail stores around the country. Only about a third of customers are actually wearing
9: masks. An internal survey by Retail NZ suggests more than two thirds of customers are coming into stores without masks. And although there is a fine for doing so, Mr. Harford says it's not enforced. He says anybody can declare themselves exempt from the rules, making the whole thing pointless. Mark Knopf-Thomas of the New Market Business Association agrees.
10: I think a lot of places stopped enforcing mask wearing some time ago um, based on the the very real threat that we see more and more of now, violence against retail staff. Um, I think it would be almost impossible, I think, now for the government to, to enforce any kind of mandate or continue it because I think the government have well and truly lost the room.
9: He says most people are over COVID.
10: But I think, you know, the horse has kind of already bolted and I've just been out myself actually just shopping now and probably fewer than half the people are wearing masks now. I think people have got COVID fatigue and they just want to get on with life.
9: These retail workers, in the thick of it, say while many customers carry a mask, most aren't wearing them.
1: I feel like they should probably keep it on for a wee bit longer, but I honestly don't think it'll be much of a difference. Probably 50-60% of our customers come in without a mask on anymore. Most people will have them with them, but just yeah. a lot of people are kind of used to not wearing them now for some reason.
9: Greg Harford says when some shoppers get frustrated with mask requirements, They take it out on staff.
1: Over the last
0: several months, we've had many, many instances of uh, nastiness, aggression and even uh, threats of violence. In fact, WorkSafe, the government's health and safety regulator, has asked
10: retailers not to be uh, trying to enforce the rules because it creates a health and safety risk.
9: WorkSafe warns businesses to perform thorough risk assessments before they enforce mask wearing. It tells owners to consider how they'll mitigate the risk of violence or aggression towards workers. But some workers still feel safer in a mask. And without government backing, vulnerable workers may find it harder to enforce their own policies.
4: When
11: I am with my, I have a volunteer for this. she's 80 years old. She really like people wearing masks. If she's here with me, people have to wear masks.
9: Meanwhile, microbiologist Susie Wiles says ignoring the virus for the sake of convenience isn't going to make it go away.
2: With the virus still circulating, we can't give up the public health measures that are keeping lots of people safe. So if we're not going to use masks as one of them, then we need to use something else.
9: A decision on whether New Zealand will move to the green traffic light setting is expected to be made by Cabinet next Monday. Right, before our next interview, a little bit of feedback.
0: Michael says he's not going to vote in the local body elections because he doesn't know any candidate. But he's also admitting, Michael is, that uh, he should probably spend some time researching them. But, on the other hand, doesn't care enough to waste the time. Well, Michael, this one's for you. This next package by Matthew Junison is for you, specifically. Because followers of the past two Auckland mayoralty races could be forgiven for scratching their heads when reading Craig Lord's name among the list of contenders. But the engineer-turned-broadcaster is 100% serious about his bid to lead Auckland Council as the city faces some of the biggest challenges in its history. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking with all the main contenders vying for the mayoralty. We asked them to choose the venue then sent our uh, our reporter, producer, our jack-of-all-trades, Matthew Tunison, along to get an idea of who they are and what their vision for the city is. Here he
11: is with Craig Lord.
4: Hey, mate. How are you? Good.
11: They know you, Craig. We meet at Bay Kebab and Cafe in Blockhouse Bay, a favourite of the 50-year-old mayoral candidate who's lived in the area for 23 years, Craig Lord orders a chicken salad and a Coke Zero. I get the same. Craig, what sauce do you want, mate? Oh. This is the, the, the election. rests on this, Craig. Garlic yoghurt. We find a table next to the window and get
10: down to business, beginning with Mr Lord's backstory. I was raised in Tauru, and I spent one year in Tauranga at the boys' college, my fifth form there. And, uh, but I applied for a job and in a workshop and they said come up for an interview yeah. and I knew from the 09 it was Auckland oh here we go, so I said to Dad I've just got a job interview Oh, okay so you're not going back to school then yeah. well not if I get the job mate yeah. wow. <laughs> so I rode up on the motorbike because you get your licence at 15 back then Just you just apply for it, you got it basically I uh, rode up to Auckland by myself uh, went for the job interview the morning they rang me that afternoon said if you want the job it's yours and so I rang Dad and said, mate, I'm leaving home and I'm moving to Auckland. 15? At 15, yeah. He started out sweeping floors and cleaning
11: parts at Dynamic Hydraulics and worked his way up the ranks, staying there for
10: 16 years. They trained me up through every aspect of business. They trained me up to be the serviceman. They trained me up to be the, the manufacturing engineer in there, building things, man- repairing things. Then they stepped me into sales. Mm-hmm. Um, they then moved me into workshop manager, and then they encompassed sales manager, workshop manager into one, and then I ended up general manager at the end. And look at our lunches arrived. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Fantastic. Look at this. See, this is why Baker Bar. This right. is why we come here. Nice. Look at that.
11: As we tuck into our food, Mr Lord tells me about his foray into media. He started out writing for a motorsport magazine and became a freelance media operative who's worked for numerous broadcasters. He's also emceed many motorsports events. Sounds like a perfectly good career, but it's not the sort of CV you'd usually get from a mayoral candidate. Why does he think he's got what it takes
10: in particular the two traits i have one is the engineering background of common sense because the Aucklanders are are calling for that Mm. That, that's the predominantly what i hear we want we want some common sense brought back in and we want some representation and the ability to communicate which i've learned over 20 years now in, in the broadcasting game is also what i'm hearing people want they they just feel they don't get spoken to and they don't get good communication and they're not they're not heard Mm-hmm. And I want to do that. That's what I like doing. And I like helping. Because I like fixing things and I like helping people. So to me, it, it all just adds up that, well, then get in as mayor and see if you can actually help solve the problems for people. But why not
11: stand for a local board or a, as a councillor in a ward or in a residence just... association? Why straight to mayor? That's got to, I mean, you've got to have a lot of self belief to, to
10: just jump in and. Um, you don't move to fifteen. You don't move to Auckland by yourself when you're fifteen years old if you don't have self-belief, and and that's who I am. Craig Lord is
11: critical of council spending and believes he's a man with the smarts to rein it in.
10: The biggest issue I believe is not climate change. I believe it's the hemorrhaging of our funds, where we are just shelling out money hand over fist and. We know this is right because the council keep telling us in PR reports that we're saving money here, we desperately have to find money here, we've got to do we have to sell this asset because we're out of money. Well instead of doing that, treat it like your home budget. If you can't afford to do something, you don't do it. You prioritize with what your spends should be, and then you make trimmings where you need to. And I think the two biggest trimmings for Auckland Council is the local is the contractor system which is the maintenance of our city, and the staff. That one's not such an easy fix for the mayor, because it's not in the purview of the mayor. It can only be something you can try and influence.
11: But what are you going to do with those funds when you know parts of
10: your city are underwater or on fire because of climate change? They won't be. I just don't believe that. I really don't. However, yes, I know we're getting more floods, and I know... They're an issue. But when the council admits, like, say the Kumu floods, November 21, wasn't it? Yeah, November 21, the big Kumu floods. The report out after that, the council admitted that because they hadn't cleared the culverts, drains and the river, that it, uh, much of the flooding could have been prevented. Uh, so that means they're not doing their job.
11: By your thinking, we should have more emissions rather than less. No. Do away with do away with cycle lanes. No. No free transport.
10: Free transport has nothing to do with emissions. Oh, yes, it is. It gets cars off the road. No, it won't. It's inefficiency that stops people using the public transport, not the price. We debate the
11: matter for some time, with Mr Lord criticising spending aimed at tackling the climate crisis. This is because, he says, New Zealand's emissions amount to a small percentage of the global total. He's also not a fan of council spending on things he sees
10: as luxuries, like public sculptures. If we had tons of money, I'd go for it. But when you know that council, because they publicly tell us we desperately need to find money and we desperately need to find funds, well then, okay, then stop spending it on niceties and focus on necessities. Then you can get back into it. It's just like a household budget. If you want a 70-inch QLED TV, but you've got a 32-inch that does the job, then you keep the 32-inch until you know you got the money. It's purely on a financial, fiscal responsibility that I say those things. All right. Find us find us some money, Greg. Balance the book for, books yeah. for us. What, is that? what, oh, what does that look like? Majorly contractors. We've got to trim. The, the numbers we've tried to work out is around a billion dollars a year is spent on contracting, which is maintaining the footpath, sweeping our streets, collecting our rubbish, doing all those things to keep the city tidy. However, when you get things like a toilet block in Wellsford that we just paid 1.3 million dollars for. 1.3 million dollars for a public toilet block, you're kidding. That's two houses. Someone is rotting the system. Finally, time for some quick fire questions with
11: Auckland mayoral candidate Craig Lord. We're in um, Blockhouse Bay. I need to get back to um, work in Hobson Street. How am I to, what what bus do I catch? How am I getting how am I getting there, Craig?
10: Two bus stops. One on the left. One down the end. I don't know which number it'll be, but there are they are here. Okay. What's Auckland's population? One point. Oh no, it's one point six. Now is that voting? No, voting's around one. I think it is. So it's around one point six at the moment. Bang on. Okay. One point six five two. Auckland's Pacifica population. Don't know. Who's your political hero? I don't think I've got one. I suppose. No, I don't think I've actually got one. Never really thought about it.
11: Who's a, who's a New Zealand politician you admire then? I admire?
10: I like politicians that hold their stance, no matter where they sit. I think David Seymour does a good job at, well, yeah, no, he does. He holds his line. So does Shaw, actually. He holds his line no matter what. They don't flip-flop, and I like that in a person. Did you be able to tell me who you vote for in uh, general election? Uh, last time I split, it was a national act between party and, and, and local, yeah. Mm. What's your favourite bar in Auckland? I don't drink, because so I don't go to bars. Restaurant? Restaurant. Oh, there's too many. Are we going bake a <laughs> They're right up there. We love Thai. Yeah. And no matter where you go, Thai is Thai.
0: Is Thai Thai? I feel like there's variation, quite large variation between Thai restaurants. It's not like a Big Mac. You know, you eat a Big Mac and you kind of know what you're getting. Thai, there is a little bit of variation. Anyway, um, I digress. Right. Finally, this morning, a little bit of feedback. Uh, your story on mask wearing compliance seems very Auckland centric. Compliance is very high in Wellington stores, probably ninety percent. Yeah, probably was a little bit Auckland centric. It's certainly not ninety percent in Auckland. Geez, it would be. You'd be well. I think we said sixty. You'd be lucky to see sixty. You've got to say. Uh, right. Uh, having seen Liz Trust talk, Steve says as she was presented at the Mantle outside Downing Street. uh, Any politician, male or female, who talks out the side of their mouth will never get my vote. Okay. Interestingly, uh, he says not only that, she started politics as a student Lib Dem, then anti-Brexit, and is now strident and a Brexit thatcherette. Sheesh, Steve says. Sheesh indeed. Finally, last word to Zane on the cricket. I watched the cricket, very close game, no reason NZ cannot beat this Aussie team next game. There is no reason, but nonetheless, it's nothing worse than going to bed at 44 for five and thinking, we've got it in the bag. And then you wake up and the news isn't good.
5: But what is good news is Morning Report is next